Hey everybody, it's Tracy Brown from Stained Glass Spirit and What is Mine to Do and Intentional Inclusion. And I am so excited about today. Today is the National Day of Racial Healing and it's such an, um, such an important concept for people all over the nation to really choose to focus on healing all of the things that are challenging around racial identity and racial justice, racial equality, and racial respect. So I didn't want the day to go by without spending a little bit of time really focusing in on what I want to think about as it relates to racial understanding and racial healing, what that means to me. And so I've just invited people who are friends in real life and Facebook friends and um, just posted a notice saying, oh, come on and join me on Zoom and let's talk about uh, this idea of the day to heal. And so if you're familiar at all with uh, what is mine to do, you know that with what is mine to do, we do a series called Candid Conversations. And this may end up being a conversation of Tracy talking to Tracy for uh, quite a bit of the time. But at least to start off with, Tracy gets to talk with Reverend Celeste Frazier who is um, on with me uh, by phone. So um, Celeste, if you wanna mute yourself, you, you know, you, the obvious question really is, you know, National Day of Racial Healing, had you heard about it before today and what inspires or interests you about it? Um, no, I hadn't heard about it, and I'm wondering why is it a secret. But um, <laughs> um, I, I would think that you know, with this would be a great segue from uh, Martin Luther King's birthday into this. Um, yeah, what does it mean? It's like, yeah, it's like one of the main things that I've been focusing on and hoping for and working towards for all of my life as far as I can remember since you know maybe the first time I was called a nigga when I was a little kid I don't know I just uh I just feel like this is not this is not who we are in that um this some something else needs to be revealed and uh I don't know if we're going into this uh, this state of you know, going to the polar opposite in order to find some kind of synthesis now, but um, things are very fired up right now, and it's it's time to, you know, chill, kind of put a freeze on all of this stuff and not keep it frozen, but just dissipate it so that it just goes away. I'm just not happy with any of the unhealed stuff that's happening. It's just not nice to hear it's not nice to see it doesn't feel good at all so i'm up for some healing i know you are too oh yes 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 i am up for some healing and i had not heard about the national day of racial healing uh, far in advance i just heard about it a couple of days 
ago, um, but it is the first one. So I do know that. So that's a part of what's happening. The Kellogg Foundation and the Truth Healing and Racial Transformation um, group under the guidance of the Kellogg Foundation is in 2017 kicking off um, in a variety of cities. I think it's 10 cities around the country, um, a variety of activities. And this... Oh, great. Yeah. And so this Day to Heal and the National Day of Racial Healing is... I, I, is I really the kind of the first big national push, and so with it being so close to the beginning of the year, you know, I'm I'm surprised that I had not heard about it, but um, I do understand that many people haven't, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to just carve out 30, 40 minutes this evening and at least talk about it and think about it and commit in my own life and in my own thinking and my own way of being to commit to be a part of racial healing um, or, you know, recommit because you know that I've done this work for a long time. Yeah. So what uh, would that look like for you though? I wonder. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm exploring that uh, right now in real time. Um, and actually, what it's beginning to look like is there are a lot of ideas I've had. And in the last couple of months, I've been thinking about, you know, really doing some things that I haven't done or doing things I've done before differently. So Candid Conversations is <clears throat> a great example that it was a great idea, jumped in with the idea in 2016 did a couple of conversations with people who were eager to, to talk about uh, race and how race had impacted their own lives and what they were committed to. But I hadn't really thought it through, so I didn't have the infrastructure in place to continue it during a very, very, very busy quarter. So during the holidays at the end of 2016, I really thought about, okay, no, this is really important talking to people about the impact of race in their life and how they navigate race relations and making sure it's not just black and white, but people from many different racial identity groups. Um, and even within the same identity group, you know, what comes up around race and how do we quote unquote heal those places where we're uncomfortable? And so, yeah, so in 2017, the commitment to do at least 25 of those con candid conversations, you know, and putting a structure in place to make it happen, it's like, okay, this is good, because I think there are four, four scheduled in January and four or five scheduled in February, and, you know, it's like, okay, now I've got, got some momentum. So I think for me, that's what recommitment looks like. What are you actually going to do? And then how will you structure it, Tracy, so that it can actually have a life and support people and build momentum? Do you think people are interested in having these conversations? Are, are people still too hesitant about what could happen? 
you know, thinking that it's a scary thing to do. Yeah, I think it's both and that there are more people than ever before who didn't talk about race in the past who are willing to do that and who want to do it because they realize they have not understood what was ha happening, what never stopped happening, but was more, you know, behind the scenes or undercover because they weren't looking for it. And at the same time, I think we all saw with the presidential campaign and the election process that there are many, many people who don't want to have the conversation, who do believe it's a divisive conversation and a difficult conversation to have. So I think we, we have both, but I really believe that we are at a turning point. We are approaching a tipping point. And if we shy away from the conversation, then all of the tensions that are rate that cause race-based hatred and violence are going to go back underground and then we can't do anything about it, but quote unquote, suffer the consequences. Yeah. I, I kind of look at it kind of like from a restorative justice kind of a point of view. I think that, you know, when you realize that, you know, there are wounded people on both sides, Yes. And, or however many sides there are. I don't even know how many races there are. But if you base, if you just broke it down to five, for example, you know, there's there's people who are feeling, you know, victimized in in every and 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 the the seeming oppressors are also, you know, victims of, you know, everybody's a victim of their own fear. And, and so that that becomes a great invitation to open up a whole lot of other healing too, because there's so much mental, emotional, and psychological pain that people are facing. So, you know, if if we can um, encourage people to know that they're not going to be vilified by participating in this, and they're not going to be further oppressed by participating in this, and create safe spaces for people to be able to have the conversations and for people to be willing to listen to the conversations. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just something, I guess, that we just have to stick with it. I mean, so many years that Dr. King did it, I mean, he didn't even get to realize most of what he was working towards. And, you know, you know, who knows, you know, in whose lifetime that, you know, we'll see the mountaintop that, you know, um, well, I think and it's coming though in this next generation, though, because I, I really get that they don't polarize in the way that we have and the way that we've been taught to be over the last, you know, at least I don't know how many generations I can at least speak to um, the generations that I know of, and that's about four. So, I, I think uh, two things you said really, really stand out for me. One is We've got to be willing to have these kinds of conversations without villains and victims and realize everybody, everybody has stories and everybody has um, values and everybody has experiences and we can't lump them all into one um, generalization based on any any individual identity group. 
and that if we are really going to be serious about healing, then yeah, everybody's going to have to be in the conversation. Everyone's going to have to be willing to listen from that place of empathy and understanding and then do the work together to create something new. And I don't think we talk nearly enough about that. We, we spend so much time talking about what's broken and how much person A is hating or group B is hurting that we don't get to the conversation that really gets us engaged and committed to what we want to create. So what I'm hoping does not happen is uh, almost something kind of Trotsky-like and or, you know, uh, the, the, the concept that if you take some kind of extreme person to create so much chaos that people will be forced to get along. You know, I've certainly seen it when we've had moments of crisis. I've seen it, you know, at 9-11 when all the, the soot was all over everybody. You didn't know whose race, who was who. You know, you didn't know. They were just human beings that would help another human being. And it didn't matter, you know, where what country people were from. They were, they were mourning with us. But I'm going to have to step off for a second. Okay, fabulous. So... What I really um, love about the beginning of this, there's a quote that Celeste just uh, reminded me of, and it's a quote from Franklin D. Roosevelt, actually, and he said, if civilization is to survive, we must cultivate the science of human relationships, the ability of all people of all kinds to live together in the same world at peace. And that whole idea of cultivating relationships and cultivating the skill, the ability of people to live together in the same world in peace seems sometimes really impossible because we often focus on what creates dissonance or what creates a problem. And we, we spend so much time trying to convince others that, no, really, this is a problem, that we are not able to agree that the problem exists, so now let's talk about what the solution is. And when we do get to talk about solutions often, we get hit that, that wall of, wait a minute, your solution means I have to give up something, or your solution means I have to change the way that I navigate the world. And even if you know, you're from an identity group that maybe hasn't had the opportunity to excel or hasn't had the exposure that I have had, I'm, you know, I'm not willing to give up my privilege or my entitlement to that. So even when you, when you think about all of the conversations in the last um, year and a half to two years 
about what is privilege and what is white privilege and no i don't i'm white but i don't feel like i have any privilege i've had to work for everything that i've gotten in my life that misunderstanding about what the word means like we can't even agree on terminology to get beyond the surface beneath the surface and dig into what it is that we really want to have our world look like. And so we're gonna have to get beyond slogans. We're gonna have to get beyond buzzwords and really get to the heart of who we are as a nation, what we value and what that will look like. And I don't believe it's impossible and people who know me know that i am not just um you know the world's greatest optimist i'm really really not um but i don't believe it's impossible i do believe it requires us to engage with one another in ways that we have not before it's also really important to me that we have these conversations in the context of creating something that's never happened before. So as long as the United States has been in formation and then in existence, we have never had racial equality. We have never had racial justice. We have never had equal or mutual no equal respect so we've we've defined mutual respect right. in in a different way where if you were black you were supposed to behave a certain way uh and to show your respect but we've never had equal equality in that idea of mutual respect and so we we can't really look at the past and say we want it to be the way it was at any point in the history of the United States of America. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how people found a, a way to call something post-racial. It's like, we're not post, we're present. <laughs> right. And we're more, as a society, we have we have more racial diversity than we have ever had before, ever. Yeah. And, you know, it is impossible now to say that we are a nation where when we talk about race, we talk about black and white. I mean, that's, that's such a, that's a part and the historically, it's a major factor. But if we talk about who we are as a nation now, we know we have generations and generations of uh, families that are more multiracial, um, you know, not just biracial, but multiracial. We have people who are brown from different parts of the world and we have you know the latino population which also comes to us from different parts of the world and we have had immigrants from all areas of the world that bring an ethnic identity into this conversation that we cannot ignore mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so. absolutely. Tracy, I've invited somebody on this call, and I wanted I wanted to let her introduce herself and tell you about what she's doing and what her organization is doing. Terry, are you on the line? I am on the line. Not I see my the name number. is. Tell me your Hello. name. Yeah, my name is Terry Kempton, and I am co-founder of a group called White Nonsense Roundup, and we're anti-racist workers online who um, offer our services so that if someone of color is experiencing harassment or is just tired and doesn't want to explain the same thing over and over, they can tag us in, and we take over some of that work uh, to share that burden of education. Um, and then we also try to kind of train help train white people who are interested in stepping up and being allies and standing in solidarity. So um, I'm really excited to be talking with Celeste because she has offered to help advise and guide our organization because we know that we're, we're a bunch of white people and we're bound to make mistakes and mess up sometimes. So we're hoping to, to get that um, feedback and be guided and incorporate that feedback into our work. So thank you so much for letting me join you. So cool, but you went through that so fast, Terry, that I know oh. that when people are watching the recording, that they're going to be like, what was the name of that group? Yeah, so the group is called White Nonsense Roundup, and that's exactly what we do, is, is we come round up our own, um, and when there's a, a white person who's saying something, maybe because they don't have all the information or they don't understand um, or they need a new way of thinking about things, we can help them do that. So yeah, we're on, we're on Facebook is our biggest platform, um, and we're easily findable just in the search tab under White Nonsense Roundup. And we also are on Twitter as well, and so we're easy to, to search there. And our Twitter handle is that little at sign, and because our real name was too long, our Twitter handle is at no white nonsense. <laughs> I love I love that. Our so, profile picture on Facebook is a big zero and it says um days since days without white nonsense and then it has a big zero. So, you know, we're trying to have some levity about something that we're all we're all struggling with and then really trying to do better with. Yeah, you're reminding me how important it is because the work is really serious and really demanding and draining. And if we don't bring some humor to it, um, we just all will burn out. Yeah. And for us, too, that humor is a way of um, being more frank about things. Um, you know, we're, we don't need to sugarcoat everything. Um, we can just say, you know, we need to do better and we can do better. And it allows us to kind of be direct without being, you know, attacking anybody, kind of having some levity there. So on this National Day of Racial Healing, the question of um, what, what does 2017 look like? I mean, Celeste, I think, you know, you asked me earlier, like, what, what does it, what would it look like for me to recommit? And what kinds of things am I thinking about? And I'm still doing that. I probably will be doing that all week. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious for both of you or either of you, what does commitment to racial healing, what are some of the, what are some of the ideas or hopes that you have for 2017? Well, you know, Tracy, the, the thing about racial healing is that 
it spills over into so many different areas of life because, you know, there are um, residual effects. Um, you've got, like, the prison pipeline to deal with. You know, you've got, like, all of these people that have been marginalized based on race to deal with. So, you know, there's, there's the, the, the work is, doesn't, you know, doesn't really have a, a start and stop or a, a boundary or a, a rim. It's just like, it's like a whole spillover. And, and for me, um, I kind of take one thing at a time. Yes, the dialogue on race. Yes, the, the um, showing up in support of humanity that we're doing in Washington and, and all over the country. And yes, you know, these are, I'm just talking about my personal commitment. And yes, the healing of the people who have been caught up in the systemic effects, you know, taking um, prayer and every other tool uh, spiritually and mentally that I have available to me to support people and feeling whole again. You know, I work with, you know, various groups that are, um, community-based, um, one is Fierce Women of Faith here in Chicago, that, you know, gives us so many different um, ways to express because of the pillars that we're working with. Um, but, yes, being advocates um, uh, in affecting legislation, you know, you, so you're dealing with violence, you're dealing with you know, what caused that, you know, the kind of self-hatred that was you know, sparked by race that was sparked by any number of economic issues that race is foundationally built on. And so you, you're working with people who are um, trying to find their way back into feeling actualized. And so, you know, whether I'm, I'm praying with a family who is recovering from a shooting, whether it was a hate crime or whether it was, you know, the result of a generation or two of hate crimes, you know, um, my commitment doesn't have boundaries. I'm just, I just deal with what comes before me. And so now, you know, with Fierce Women of Faith, we're looking at how to, how to support um, you know, 1,000 men that are coming out of the prison system. Willie Williams is, is is committed to getting a thousand people out of prison who are in their misdemeanors, you know, because that's one of the ways that, you know, people are kind of disposed of. And, you know, and so, so many different things that come across my radar that, that I can participate in, um, in terms of the conversations, in terms of redirecting the energy and in terms of, um, just that, regular old hug and and I pray for you and know the truth about you and you know and to continue visioning for something better to continue uh, meditating on something higher and and and, and requalifying my energy so that I can be in alignment with what I want to see mm-hmm. yes yeah yeah I think that's I think that's really the the personal connection is really powerful um, and I, 
I know a lot of us were inspired by Michelle Obama saying, when they go low, we go high, right? That's a, a very powerful statement. And when the presidential election went the way it did, I really found that I needed to reevaluate that because I don't know if it's been as effective as we need it to be. And so what I came up with in my own mind was that when they go low and they have, you know, it happens, people go low, then we need to go wide. I think we need to have bigger connections. I think we need to be more organized. I think we need to We dropped your sound. Terry, did you go? I, you know, if she, while she's coming back, I just wanted to, you know, say, you know, there's a group in Los Angeles that's been meeting with Jim Lawson for oh, a number of years, at least 18 that I know of, um, that, you know, we've lost a lot of those people that were with Dr. King, either there you know, distracted by other things or just trying to do all the work that there is to do. But just to have that training in terms of how to mobilize, how to organize um, is is really a skill and really a talent that, you know, we can all learn who are seriously committed to doing, you know, some revolutionary transformational work, you know. Yeah, there are, there are three or four, you know, schools or programs that really have taken the community organizing, the historical patterns and skills and methods and merged them in with the use of technology today, right, that didn't exist um, 10 years, 30 years, 50 years ago. And there are three or four uh, really good or really um, often referred to programs. And, and what you're reminding me of is now maybe it is a, on what is mine to do on the Facebook group um, to, you know, have people share some of the places where they are actually getting training. Because when you were talking before, Celeste, it reminded me um, of, of what comes up a lot. It's, it is impossible to talk about eliminating race-based hatred and violence or negative impact based on race without talking about economics, without talking about poverty and prisons and, and the intersectionality between racism, sexism, homophobia, all of the other isms because mm -hmm. race race is so pervasive in terms of create the culture that we live in that there are housing you know education you can't talk about any of those infrastructure um challenges without also right. recognizing the negative impact that has been a result of our racial um, hatred or our racial discomfort or our racial, racially motivated exclusion of groups of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so it is, you, you know, know what? It's not easy. It's not simple. It is very complex. Go ahead. This is Terry. Oh, oh, this, oh there she is. She's back. Terry's back. 
sorry, we're having a storm, and all of a sudden, all of my power went out. And I was like, oh, no, oh, I just lost wow. everybody. Sorry about that. Keep going. Oh, I, you know, we were just kind of riffing off of when you were talking about getting organized, and then we started, you know, looking at the the effects. And, and here's something that just came up for me and while we were talking was, you know, um, the phrase Black Lives Matter has somehow been polarizing to other people. And then people went, all lives matter, as if that were a defense to say that, you know, black lives aren't the only ones that matter. But, you know, those young people are very well organized. But what, what came up for me was, you know, what if the question or the statement is, or the question statement is, whose life matters? Mm-hmm. So we and, answer and that see question. What 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 responses come from that? You know. Yeah, we answer that question every day. If I had a nickel for every time I had to talk to some somebody, and I think part of it is that as a white person, my end end of this generation, I'm 40. So many of us were raised with the idea that we were colorblind. And that that was a good way to be, this idea that, you know, we don't see race, we love everybody. I was raised in the Presbyterian Church, God loves everybody. And we kind of went on in our perfectly sheltered white bubble of privilege and fragility, never questioning that. And, of course, the trouble with that is if you say you're colorblind, what you really are saying is that I refuse to acknowledge who you are, your ethnicity what your experiences are and how they may vary from mine. Um, It's a real limitation to being able to see people authentically and to, um, you know, help where we need to be helping. And an offshoot of that, I think, is All Lives Matter, with somehow the assumption that, like, oh, if you're picking out just one type of person, then you're ignoring everybody else, which, of course, is not the fact. And I think that also a lot of white people put themselves in that position of, oh, well, if I said all, you know, white lives matter, then you'd get mad at me. So obviously this must be the same thing. And again, it's not taking anything else into consideration, history or systemic racism or, you know, institutionalized bias. It's not taking any of those things into account. Right. And that is just another example of, of why, no matter how much we want, racial dis, dissonance to go away, it can't just automatically go away. We have to actually trudge through, like you know, Winston Churchill saying, if you're caught in hell, you know, keep going, right? If, if you're going through hell, keep going. That you, if you stop, then you're going to stay right where you are in the middle of it, and it's going to just you know, continue and grow. So we have to to keep going through, sludging through the discomfort and the, um, we don't know how to do it because we learn, we'll learn how to do it as we are doing it. Mm -hmm. That's right. Sometimes we talk about trying to make the car while we're driving it, you know, (laughs) it's it's a work in progress. There's a great essay that I, I learned a lot from, And it said, uh, the easiest way to get rid of racism 
redefine it. And that's kind of what's happened, that we've made the term racist to be such an extreme judgment on a person's moral character, right? Like you are out there in the white hood at night doing scary things, um, or it's David Duke, or, you know, it's really these kind of extreme. Instead of saying, you know, racism is, that's just the air we breathe. Like that's just, we're caught in these systems. We all share them. We all experience them. They have racist components. It doesn't have to be this, you know, super moral judgment that everyone needs to freak out about. It's just something that needs to be improved upon. Like, let's just acknowledge it and let's move on. So we push back against that I a think lot. Being like, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing about the word. It's interesting now. Um, nobody wants to be called that. But is anybody really looking at what that is. You know, I was doing um, a workshop back in Agape. Oh, this must have been somewhere around 2004 or something like that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to go through this process of submitting the workshop and, and, you know, getting it approved. And and my first title was Racism, Yours and Mine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They were like, oh, no, no, you can't do that. You know, and so, you know, Reverend Michael suggested that I, you know, that I take the end result and name it that. So, and so the, the title that I came up with was Being Free to Love. And mm-hmm. there's something about racism that gets in the way of our freedom to love each other. And Mm -hmm. and there's something about, you know, deny, deny, deny that also gets in the way of us loving each other. Mm -hmm. And, 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 And what do we have to do to free ourselves up individually? Because, you know, we have to do our own individual healing in order to be a part of the healing process. And so mm-hmm. it continues to be exercising and exorcising, you know, mm-hmm. those those places that feel injured and abused and neglected and um, just tattered from, you know, the, the, the struggle of it all. Yeah, and that's right. exactly why, you know, so often, you know, I will say to people and to, you know, leaders in organizations, Uh, But to individuals, it's like, yeah, don't call anyone a name, like, you know, racist, sexist, even homophobic or any, like using the adjective, you are that, and and you turning it into, you know, you are that, and it's a generalization because it puts people on the defensive and then they can't even hear what it is you're trying to get to. So I love what both of you said about, you know, really what you tell people or talk to people about is you're a part of a system. We are all a part of, of an institution or culture in this country and in the world where these Mm -hmm. things happen. And you didn't, we know you did not personally create that. Um, And then when you focus on, I think it might've been before you joined us, Terry, the, the talk about, you know, really, getting people to focus on where you're going, what you're trying to achieve, a world where everybody mm-hmm. is respected, a world where, you know, or a community or a school or a church 
where everyone can come and they are not denied access or engagement or inclusion because are based right. on stories about the color of their skin or their yeah. background. And mm -hmm. so when we, when we really can move into living every day from this place of being guided by what we want, you know, being pulled by this vision of what we're trying to create instead of constantly mm -hmm. fighting against what has occurred in the past, I think mm -hmm. we'll, we'll begin to move much faster, which is one of the reasons I was so excited about the National Day of Racial Healing. Mm -hmm. Well, I think so much is having a conversation and from a white perspective of starting to break down that white privilege. I mean, I often say that the most, the biggest sign of privilege, the biggest privilege is to not have to think about race. And that's something that's only afforded white or white presenting people in this country um yeah. and so acknowledging that and saying i'm not going to indulge that i'm going to have a conversation and to start to prioritize the lives and health and safety of others over our temporary comfort because there's a lot of that like oh, I, don't, I don't know you know i have a racist uncle but i don't want to make things awkward it's thanksgiving dinner and we're saying you know it, we need to kind of reevaluate what actually harms us using a word like racism doesn't hurt you that's not gonna hurt you that doesn't that doesn't mean anything being shot in the back by police like ah, that, that's gonna hurt you that's we need to reevaluate kind of what is actually you know harmful and um my last thought on that is just that i wish that more people were curious rather than judgmental and that if we had more curiosity about each other there would be like wow that that sounds like a really different experience from mine I wonder what that's like. I wonder what I can learn from that. And that would be my desire for racial healing is that we would approach each other with more curiosity than judgment. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And um, I'm looking at the clock. We've only got a couple of minutes. So yeah. if that's Terry's desire, Celeste, what's your desire? Yeah, uh, it was like when you said the, the word inclusion, uh, it, uh, like, what Terry was saying, I know that there's people that don't don't even know that they're not being inclusive. Right. Mm. And and so my desire would be for people to wake up and mm -hmm. and to and to notice not only when there's a crisis, um, and and but to really pay attention now about the places where we've been in denial. Um, you know, particularly now with the new administration that has somehow um, said to people who have been trying to suppress their isms that they don't have to suppress them anymore. And so um, I would like for us to wake up and say, wow, um, how does this feel for me and how can I feel better? Because ultimately, uh, people who are not in fear, but focus more on loving, including self-love, are going to be the vanguard of uh, that healing that we're all seeking to know. Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 yes. So um, our time is up. Oh, my God.
God, I can't believe it. It went so fast. So Terry and Celeste, thanks for joining me. Uh, for everybody who watches the recording, my name is Tracy Brown. I'm the moderator for What Is Mine To Do Facebook group. I hope you'll come and join us over there where we have candid conversations about how to build bridges, how to remove or eliminate or at least reduce race-based hatred and violence. You can also get more information at whatismindtodo.com. You can get more information at stainedglassspirit.net and you can get more information at tracybrown.com. So on this National Day of Racial Healing 2017, our time is about up, and I hope to see you somewhere on the internet real soon.